So tonight is Monday, Thursday, Thursday and Holy Week. And so tonight I want to talk about why we do Monday, Thursday. About 20 years ago or so, I can't believe it's been that long, I read Philip Yancey's great book, The Jesus I Never Knew. It was first published in 1995, and there were various other revised editions that came out. In fact, I checked it this morning to find out that even though it was written in 1995, it's still in print. Uh, that's a great book if publishers think that they can still make money on a book and that has been around for so long. But it was a great book, and um, it, it, Yancey wrote this on the subject of Holy Week. In fact, I was mentioning it to Alan this last week. I thought I would read it to you tonight. Just this excerpt. He's telling his own story about his church life and how it related to Holy Week. He said, the church I grew up in, grew up in skipped uh, past the events of Holy Week and, and rushed to get to, as he describes it, the symbol sounds of Easter. We never had a Monday, Thursday or a Good Friday service. We celebrated the Lord's Supper once a quarter, that's once every three months, an awkward ceremony in which solemn ushers monitored the progress of trays bearing thimble cups and broken saltine crackers. I was told that the Roman Catholics did not believe in the resurrection, which explained why, why Catholic girls wore crosses with the little man on them. I was told that Roman Catholics celebrated the Mass with candles burning in a kind of cultic ritual, a symptom of their fixation on death. But we Protestants were different. We saved our best clothes, our rousing hymns, and our few sanctuary decorations for Easter. He continues, when I began to study theology and church history, I found that my church had been wrong about the Catholics who believed in Easter just as strongly as we did. In fact, it was the Catholics who wrote many of the creeds that best expressed this belief. Furthermore, from the Gospels, I also learned that unlike my church, the biblical records slow down rather than speed up when it gets to Holy Week. Indeed, one early Christian writer said that the Gospels are essentially chronicles of Jesus' final week with long introductions. He continues, Of the biographies I have read, few devote more than 10% of their pages to the subject's death, including biographies of men like Martin Luther King Jr. or Mahatma Gandhi who died violent and politically significant deaths. The Gospels, however, devote nearly one-third of their length to the climactic last week of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John saw Jesus' passion and death as the central mystery of Jesus. And so this is why we faithfully do Holy Week in general and Monday, Thursday in particular because we are paying attention to the witness of the apostles as it appears in the New Testament, and we are acting accordingly. As it relates to Monday, Thursday, there are four major themes. The first of which is, if you like, the mandatum novum, which in Latin means a new commandment. In fact, that's where this day gets its name, Monday Thursday or Mandatum Thursday. 
which new commandment Jesus gave to his disciples, even as we read, on this Thursday night, the night before he suffered and died, on the night he was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion, and the context in which he gives this new commandment, as we read, it was it's the washing of the disciples' feet, an act of selfless humility, an act of selfless love. And so as we read from John 13, John says that Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, <laughs> he loved them to the end. These guys with whom he was always having problems, but he loved them dearly. And during supper, that is the Passover meal, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. It's interesting, because this is what is said of him in John. That's exactly what Jesus says at the end of Matthew. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, and now I send you forth. And knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper, and he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Their feet were dirty, and nobody wanted to wash anybody's feet. They didn't even bother to wash their own. But he washed them like a slave. He poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 12, And when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment, he resumed his place, and he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? Of course they didn't. <laughs> they hadn't a clue. In fact, you remember, Peter strongly objected it. You're my Messiah. Not my chamber man, my valet, my slave. It's degrading, Lord. <laughs> Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher. You call me Lord. You call me rabbi. And you're right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And if you know these things, Jesus said, blessed, happy are you. If you do them, and then comes the mandatum novum in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. I'm not Jesus. He tells us to be like him. Love the way he loves. That's my calling and your calling. Not to make excuses, but to find out how does he love and to love others the way he loves me. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Verse 35, and by all this people will know that you're my disciples. Of course they will, because I act like him. Whose disciple would I be? In fact, that's a great question. Whose disciple do people think you are? <laughs> do they think you're Jesus' disciple? Or maybe somebody else's, based upon how you live, or how I live, how I think, what I do. And then, 
all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And so that's the first thing. We remember on Monday, Thursday, the mandatum novum. The second thing is Jesus' institution of the sacrament of Holy Communion. The context for this is the Passover meal that Jesus observed with his disciples on this Thursday night, the night that he was betrayed. In fact, Paul talks about this. He relates it, even as Greg read it in the Scripture readings. In 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 23, Paul says, For I, what I received from the Lord, I've delivered to you. What he told me about, what I've received, I've given to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body. Now, of course, you know that checkered history related to, to these words. This is my body as it is by... I, I love what uh, one Anglican priest friend of mine said uh, once, uh, and he said this. He says, uh, whatever it does mean, it does not mean this is not my body. <laughs> this is my body. It can't possibly mean this is not my body. That's not what he said. And so we try to understand as best we can what that means, that this is his body. But he said, this is my body, this bread, which is for you. Do this, what? Eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Paul said, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then notice verse 26. Because this is sort of a version about death. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Of course, what Jesus did on that first Monday, Thursday, instituting for us the sacrament of his body and blood is fraught with spiritual meaning. Interestingly enough, in the Gospel of John, there is no supper scene. There is no uh, supper narrative. John's Eucharistic theology is found in chapter 6, where Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then they follow him all around to get more bread, and finally he turns to them and says, No more bread! You're missing the point. I am the bread of life. I gave you this bread so that you would, you would see that it's a sign, and the sign points to me. I am the bread of life. And so we read in John chapter 6, verse 35, for instance, and Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Or verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Or verse 54 through 56, And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Notice that. Whoever comes to me has eternal life. Whoever believes in me has eternal life. Whoever eats my flesh, my bread, and drinks my blood has life. It's a metaphor. 
It's a sacrament. It's an outward. This table and what we do at it is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. A thing that you can see that points to a thing that you can't. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food, true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Of course, of course, of course. In the day, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, in the day that I ascend to the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, then you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And this table points to that invisible reality, spiritual union with the Son of God. And the context of Jesus instituting this sacrament of Holy Communion suggests even another thing that I don't think people often think about. And that is that He is Himself at this Passover meal, the true Paschal Lamb, the, the true Passover Lamb. Indeed, Jesus is not only the bread of life, but He is the Passover Lamb who is pure and without blemish. What did John the Baptist say as they were transitioning from John's ministry to Christ? In fact, some of John's disciples became Jesus' disciples because John said, follow him. And on one day, you remember, in 29th verse of the first chapter of John, John the Baptist said to his disciples, behold, pointing to Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's upon him that we feast, as our liturgy says, in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And it's his blood that saves us from God's righteous judgment. This is the message of the Passover. Think about it. Greg read about it in Exodus 12. Listen to these verses. Chapter 12 and verse 3, And every man shall take a lamb, one lamb per household. Verse 5, And your lamb shall be without blemish. Verse 6, And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel, God's people, shall kill their lambs at twilight. Look out the window. Here we are. <laughs> verse 7, And you shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the house in which you eat it. And the blood shall be a sign for you, God says, on the house where you are. And when I, God, see the blood, I will pass over. That's what the Passover means. I will see the blood and I will pass over that house. Even as I strike the land of Egypt, no plague shall befall you or destroy you because when I see the blood I will pass over and what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 7 and 8 Christ our Passover lamb 
has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast. <laughs> he is the Passover lamb. It's his blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, and the father sees the blood and passes over. And we celebrate the feast. What feast? Holy Communion. Our new Passover meal, where Christ is both the host at the meal and the victim of it. And when we take it, as Paul said, we declare his death until he comes again to set up his everlasting kingdom. And so we feast on Christ, the bread of life, the true Passover lamb, as the liturgy says, in our hearts by faith <laughs> with thanksgiving. And so that's the second thing we commemorate on Monday, Thursday. The institution of the sacrament of Holy Communion. Thirdly is, that, is Judas's betrayal. It was on this night that he carried it out. We read in Matthew chapter 26 and beginning at verse 1, and Jesus said to his disciples, you know that after two days, depending on how you're working the, the, the chronology, it's either on Tuesday or Wednesday that he says this. You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be delivered up, handed over, and be crucified. Verse 3, and then the chief priests and elders of the people gathered at the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted together how they might arrest Jesus by stealth, secretly, and kill him. Verse 14, then one of the twelve, one of his closest associates, see, this is what makes it betrayal. Stranger, you can't be, you can't be, you can't be betrayed by a stranger. You can't be betrayed by an enemy. Betrayal takes place by someone you thought was your friend. Betrayal takes place when somebody you thought you could trust turns you over and sells you out. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests with friends like this who needs enemies and said to them, what will you give me? I almost, I, I just, two terrible expletives just popped into my head. I can't stand this guy. And yet Jesus washed his feet. You can see I have, I have some room to grow here. I can't stand him because of what he did to the Lord. One of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him, which thing, of course, Jesus or Judas did in the Garden of Gethsemane on the first Monday, Thursday. Indeed, Matthew 26, and beginning at verse 47, and Judas, one of the twelve, came to the garden, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. 
Now Judas the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss, it doesn't make me like him anymore. The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. And then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. The fourth and final theme of Maundy Thursday is Peter's denial, which is a thing that Jesus or that Peter said he'd never do. But he did do it. He did it three times. And all the other disciples, they, they, they pledged the same undying loyalty. But when the hour of truth came, when their own lives were being threatened as his was, they all fled. And Jesus, all alone, was betrayed into the hands of sinners. And when at the end of this service, we put out the candles and we strip this altar and take everything beautiful out, and we slam the door and the lights are dimmed and we leave in silence this is what that will signify that Jesus has been betrayed into the hands of sinners and he is no longer available in Matthew 26 beginning at verse 30 we read, and when Jesus and his disciples had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But Peter said to Jesus, though all the rest fall away because of you, you know, you can't trust Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, you know, Lord. Though all the rest fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples promised the same thing. Which was a promise none of them kept on the first Monday Thursday. I wonder, what would you have done if you had been in their shoes? In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.